Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to the Classroom 33 podcast. I'm Pastor Dustin, and uh, with me, as always, is Steve Prudian, and we are continuing our talk about prayer and uh, all things prayer, really. And uh, Steve, you just told me right before I hit the record button that uh, what we're talking about today was not your original plan for today. It was not my original plan for today. That's amazing. So what were you going to talk about and what are we going to talk about? What I was going to talk about was what looks like really as the steps of prayer. Okay. But I realized that um, I was jumping the gun on the steps of prayer. Okay. Because I had not dealt with human frailty. Interesting. I think all too often church people make too many assumptions. Yes, we do. And one of the assumptions is, is, is that everybody knows how to pray. Everybody that, prays. What's, that, the, what, what's yep. the big deal? Well, and that's a, you're right. And that's a dangerous assumption, which we can get into. Well, the problem is, is, is that we don't, we take it too lightly and we don't know the value or the seriousness of it. Right. I was thinking, you know, we started this thing talking about prayer with Jesus teaching his disciples because his disciples requested that uh, he would inform them what it was that he was doing while he was going away. Right. And they says, could you teach us to pray like you pray? So that made me wonder. How can these guys be good Jewish boys and not know how to pray? Well, the next question is, is how can people go to church today and not know how to pray? Well, it's as simple as they've never been taught. They've never been taught or they've never learned the importance of it. Right. Oftentimes, in many cases, a lot of people leave praying up to the professionals. They do. And so subsequently, they figure, well, they can't compete with the professional. Just let the professional do it for us. Yep. Well, yep. I've been at many dinners now since uh, becoming a pastor, receiving uh -huh. that title. And let the professional do it. Let the professional do it. I get asked to pray all the time. Yep. I can imagine. Well, <laughs> I, I thought about Jesus teaching his disciples all of the qualities and the aspects that the prayer that he taught him, which we call the Lord's Prayer. Yep. But I thought about the fact, when does a person pray? When does a person pray? Go ahead, Dustin. When does a person usually be motivated to pray? <laughs> motivated is the magic word there, because to be quite frank, I think a lot of the time people pray in times of crisis. That's true. It's it's very it's very needs driven. It's funny that Jesus's ministry was really a ministry of partnership. Yes. Now, the obvious pun of course is his father God. Mhm. Mm but his understudies, which are the disciples, they're his partners too in ministry. Yeah, 
They sure are. And that kind of reminds me of the way the church works. Yeah. Yep. Because yep. there's people who know, there's people that are learning, and mm -hmm. there are people that are trying to to know and to learn and to do. Right. The doers, the learners, the seekers. Right. Yep. Okay. So now, I thought about the disciples. Mm -hmm. I can think about Jesus, but in reality, it's like putting him on a step above us. Right. In a sense, it's putting him on a step above us. Right. You know, I, yeah. he, he has an edge that most human beings don't have. <laughs> just, just just a small one. I mean, being part of the Godhead and existing from right. before the beginning of time yeah. with God. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah that's a. That, we'll, 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 we'll say he's got a sliver of an advantage. So anyway, I says, well, I says, <clears throat> when were the disciples afraid? When were the disciples afraid? Can you give me a couple of instances that you can think that the disciples were afraid? Sure. Um, the first one that comes to mind is very early in uh, their walk with Jesus. They're out in a boat and a storm comes up in the middle of the night. And if you remember the story, Jesus is in the back of the boat, asleep, taking a nap, boats being tossed about. And these are some of them, at least, are pretty experienced fishermen, and they're all afraid. They think the boat's going over, and they're going down. And uh, Under normal circumstances, they probably would be right. Under normal circumstances, however, these were supernatural circumstances, and Jesus calmed the waves. He calmed the storm. What did he say? He said, peace, be still. Peace, be still. Yep. Why did he call the storm peace? He didn't call the storm peace. Ah, he commanded peace. He didn't call peace. the storm peace. So what was he doing? He was commanding. Commanding for? Peace. And the condition to have peace is? Still. Stillness. Yep. Ah, another quality to prayer. Mm-hmm. Okay. The definitive request and then the resting result. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Be, still, be still and know that I am God. Yes, that plays very well into that verse. Mm -hmm. Give me another time that the disciples were afraid of being with Jesus Christ. Afraid of being with him? Yeah, because they were threatened as well. Or they perceived themselves being threatened when Jesus saw it as no threat at all. Hmm. I'm, my brain is going straight to the arrest. Well, our top our topic for today is Gethsemane, so I'm a, I'm a little bit one track mind on that right well, now. I'm going to give you this one, okay? All it right. happened before the arrest. Yes. The problem um, with the arrest is, is is that most of his disciples at that point in time just ran. Yeah. Okay. They did. But, but there was another time that the disciples, because of their culture, right, one, and because of the fact that. From their culture, they Jesus did something that Jews did not ever do. He crossed the tracks. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. And he yep. went and he went to the other side of the lake. Mm -hmm. And at the other side of the lake, he met something that Jews do not want to meet, or do they want to talk about, or do they want to deal with it? It scares everything out of them. 
Yep. And who did Jesus meet? Uh, he met a man with a legion of demons. A legion of demons. Yep. Okay. How do you think the disciples felt about that? Uh, I'm sure they were scared witless. Exactly. Yes. Jesus, in his, in his perfect confidence mm-hmm. of who he is in God, saw this as really an inconvenience for the man who had them. Right. Okay. But uh, really not a challenge mm-hmm. to God, his father, and himself. It was so much not a challenge that the demons themselves were begging for mercy. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) It it didn't take very long. No, it didn't take very long. He wasn't wasn't given an opportunity to even second guess. Well, then my um, thoughts took me to where we are today. Yep. Okay, took me to where we are today. And... The, how can I say, the location surprised me based upon the reaction. Okay. And let me explain that, okay? The Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. Yes. And it's a beautiful garden that Jesus went to frequently to pray. Mm-hmm. And his disciples knew it. And even Judas knew it. Yep. And whether you know about the geographical location of the Mount of Olives, it has a unique position. It towers and looks over the temple grounds. Hmm. And it also is literally um, the garden to Jerusalem. Because, of course, the temple is in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yep. And if you take this, take what we know about Jerusalem, as far back we find it is called the city of God. Mm-hmm. It's God's capital on earth. Yep. Even though the Romans weren't going to admit that. Right. They're not going to. Okay. So now we have the scene of Jesus taking his disciples, all of his disciples, except one. Right. Okay to the garden, and then he separates the disciples out, and he takes three choice disciples. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me who he takes? He takes the three, the usual three, Peter, James, and John. That's exactly right. It's interesting. He takes the three. Now, what's interesting is, is, is that he gives these three a very simple commission. Mm hmm that night. Do you know what he asked his disciples to do, these three disciples? He gave three he, words. Three words. Three disciples. Three words. Uh, he tells them to pray. Watch and pray. Yep. Three words. Yep. I was trying to figure out how to get that into three words. Yep. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Yep. Well, I feel better about the disciples <laughs> because I have fallen asleep praying. As have I. And so do the disciples. Yep. But Jesus' intent was that they not fall asleep. 
that they actually support his prayers right. while he's praying. So I was thinking, first of all, why does Jesus pray? He's God. Why does Jesus pray? He's God. Well, because he needs to. I mean, as is going to be as simple as you can put it, but Jesus is part of the Godhead. He's part of the Trinity. He is part of God, and as part of a perfect being, there is a need for communication. It's not, it's not a want, it's not a desire, it is a requirement of, of that relationship between the between the parts of the Godhead, that communication that we call prayer is absolutely 100% required. And so Jesus goes off on his own to pray, to communicate with his Father, to talk to the Spirit, and to commune with them as a part of the Godhead, because he needs to. It's a, it's a part of his makeup. It is. Jesus is in constant communication with his father. Yes. He's in very serious, deep communication mm-hmm. with his father when he goes to a secluded place where he doesn't want interruption, mm-hmm. where the time of instruction is really important. Mm-hmm. He calls it seeking his Father's will. Yes. Do we seek the Father's will? I try to, but uh, not, not even close to what Jesus does. I find that Jesus is setting the example. Mm-hmm. For sure. That... Oftentimes, we have good intention to prayers, but yet in the time that we pray, we're not dedicating that time as a special time set aside for no interruptions. Mm -hmm. I think that the reason we shouldn't have interruptions is, is because we need the peace be still. Yes. To be able to hear the voice of God. Oh, I agree, 100%. And not have the disruptions. So one of the things I find that even in my own life, that um, I don't have the depth or the quality, okay? What happens is, is, is that I can pray, and I know there's something missing. Something is something is not quite there that I know should be there it could be there now the knowing that God is perfect right I I can't I can't play that other chip (laughs) (laughs) so subsequently I have to look at myself Mm -hmm. and I have to inquire of myself the question is Am I solely, wholly dedicated to praying? 
Right. I says, or am I trying to do more than one thing at the same time? Right. And I think that's a key. So now I understand, and you understand, and we should all understand that Jesus couldn't have the same quality of prayer amongst the busyness of his disciples. Right. He even needed to go away because the fact is, is, is that they were disruptive. Yes, they were. Okay, to his prayer life. Okay. <laughs> um, I was thinking that if we take a look at um, the Scripture— we find actually there's four times in Scripture, but I'm going to use the two major times. Okay. Okay. When um, that talks about this Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, by the way, do you know what the word Gethsemane means uh, in, in Hebrew? Do you know what it means? I do not. It means the oil press. It was an olive grove. Well, Mount of Olives, it would make yeah. sense that it's, right. that it's an olive and, garden. And yeah. the name Gethsemane means, means oil press. So in, re, in respect, okay, that Jesus was pressed into God. Yep. Okay? And it's interesting that we, we um, associate the power of the Holy Spirit as oil. Yes. Just a little bit of symbolism. Just, a, Just little. a little bit. Just okay? a little bit. Would you like to read? I think the best the best reading comes out of Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. If you would inform the people that are listening that this is actually really from the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> this happened, folks. That I can do. So out of the NLT version, uh, Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. There's that press again. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, and I will interject after softly kicking him in the side to wake him up. <laughs> he said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Nice results of prayer. Yeah. <laughs> nice results of prayer. Case in point, sometimes if we're 
strong enough, brave enough to pray God's will. Yes. Sometimes his will is that we have to get pressed a little further. It is. And um, one thing, especially recently, um, when I've been praying, especially when I'm praying uh, for somebody else who is going through a difficult time, the words of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. That's hard to swallow sometimes. It is. Because you don't understand. Even if you, even if you abide by the conditions, you still don't understand. And that makes it even harder to understand. Right. And uh, for anybody who's listening who may not know Romans 8.28 right off of the top of your head. It says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So, taking Jesus in this example... Right? Jesus is praying for God's will to be done. Jesus is about to suffer excruciating pain. As a matter of fact, the word crucifixion is the root word that we get the word excruciating from. That's just how bad it's going to be. But he has to go through that for God's good plan, for God's good will to triumph and to be in motion. So, Sometimes we have to be pressed, and we don't always get to know why. Did you know where the word good comes from? Where does the word good come from? It comes from God. Yes, it does. So it isn't for our will. Right. It's for God's goodwill. It is God's okay. goodwill. But the question is, is this is that sometimes we don't see or experience God's goodwill until down the road in the future. Right. Do you think that when Jesus was going to give up his life and be crucified, that at that moment that he was praying in the garden, that that was goodwill? Bad for Jesus. Uh, bad for Jesus. But good for man and good for God. Right. Imagine if Jesus says, I don't think I'm going to do this. Which in his free will, he could have. He could have. But if he says, I don't think I'm going to do this. Yep. Would we have the good that we have today because he did do it? No. What goodness did, did what he did bring to us well through that sacrifice it seals those who believe in him mm -hmm. so that we can receive the holy spirit and be at least have that spirit that lives within us that's in constant communication with god even if we aren't so i think not having the spirit would be a monumental detriment for the last 2,000 years. Are you Jewish? No, I am not. I'm not Jewish either. Close, but not quite Jewish. <laughs> but the Jews believed that they had a way unto salvation. Yes. 
But the poor Gentiles, those that were not Jewish, they had no way unto salvation. It's because of what Or so Jesus. they thought. But, but yes. But because of Jesus Christ, okay, he made the first move towards the Gentiles. He did. And so subsequently, his blood shed, his shed blood covers not only Jew, but every other human being on the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. So Jesus really is, he died for the forgiveness of sin. Yes. But he died for the forgiveness of sin that we might live. Mm-hmm. Because sin was a death sentence on all of us. Yes, it was. So I guess God knew what was for his goodwill. His goodwill is for our goodwill. Yes. I'm thankful that God knows more than I know. I am too. I wouldn't be able to see the end of the story. But we do get to see the end we of the story. We do get to see it the end of, because it's been revealed to us. Mm-hmm. But then again, as part of that revealing to us, there's also an instruction on how we should live in this life. Yes. And that we need to follow. I was uh, thinking about a song about, um, about the Garden of Gethsemane. And you have it on your piece of paper there. Yes. And I'm just going to read you the name of the song and the lyrics, because oftentimes we forget even that this song exists. And the song is this. The song is, lest, no, Lead Me to Calvary is the name of the song. But the song's chorus, and it does it three times as a chorus, it says, lest I forget Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed. Right. Which a lot of us don't know the importance of. Okay. Lest I forget thine agony, which Jesus went through. Mm-hmm. Lest I forget thy love for me, willing to be, take my punishment upon himself. Right. Okay. Lead me to Calvary. Yes. Whoa. Lead me to Calvary. Mm-hmm. I'm sure glad he did it so I don't have to get led there. Mm-hmm. I'd make a poor substitute as a sacrifice. Yeah, I, yeah. But how many people know the importance of Gethsemane? Other than it's just part of Easter story. I think there are, I think there's a fair amount of people who, who do understand and grasp at least the, the basic that, that it was a moment it was it was a moment where um we'll say the cause of Christ was balancing on the edge of a knife and could mm-hmm. have gone either way and you know he knew pain he understood pain and he knew what was coming to him and as any of us can certainly understand and um, empathize with, he didn't want to suffer. He didn't want to go through it. 
any more than when I've suffered in my life. I, I didn't want to go through it. But he knows that something good is going to come out of it. Now, whatever good has come out of my suffering is a mere pittance in comparison. Right? Because we all go through suffering, and God brings good out of all of it, but nothing like what Jesus went through. And he suffered and suffered and suffered, and for three Sorry, for that day, for those hours, he suffered more than most anybody will in a lifetime. And he was innocent. He had done nothing wrong. And so, yeah, I... But it's really hard. I'm also going to say it's really hard to express that gravity. It's really hard for me to put in into words that are going to do justice to just how pivotal this moment was. And just how absolutely... I want to say unrealistic. I don't think that's the right word, but I want to say it's completely unrealistic that we read this story, and as we're reading this story, because we know, we already know the story, it's unrealistic, our expectation that Jesus is just going to say, okay, I'll go. Would you? Heck no. Uh-uh. <laughs> Are you kidding me? If I know, if I know that somebody's after me, I'm changing all of my routines. I'm changing my phone number. I'm changing my address. I'm changing where I go. I'm changing what I do. I'm changing the city that I'm in, maybe the state, maybe the country. If somebody's after me, I'm, I'm on the move. Because that's my self-preservation kicking the, in. And the disciples had warned Jesus... You better not go to Jerusalem because they're looking for you. Right. And he goes. And he goes anyway. He knew before they did. But he knows. He knows. He knows what's coming. That's right. He He understands what's coming. And he goes willingly, but he doesn't go. I've, I've heard it described before, you know, when Jesus, he goes like a lamb to the slaughter. He doesn't make any noise. You know, he says a few things in the courtyard with the head priests and things and um, doesn't, you know, the, the tradition, I don't know that this is actually specified anywhere in Scripture, but the tradition is that you know, of all of the the punishment and the torment and the torture and the beating and the flogging and all of that, you know, how we traditionally view that is that he was silent through all of it. He doesn't cry out. And 
even if that's true, I don't think he actually went silently. He didn't go quietly into the night. He prayed. And I I have this book on prayer. Um, that's a collections of A.W. Tozer, if you know who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a theologian author. Um, and I haven't read through the whole thing, but I've read, you know, the first chapter. And it it says, I'm, I'm actually going to read directly out of this. It says, prayer at its best is the expression of the total life. Certainly there have been and will continue to be instances when an isolated prayer may be answered, even when the one uttering it may not have been living an exemplary Christian life. Um, All things else being equal, our prayers are only as powerful as our lives. And in the long pole, we only pray as well as we live. And then goes on to talk about um, how we often use prayer the same way we would use a fire escape. Um, But Jesus lived a powerful life. And he got powerful, regular prayers. And his prayer might have been quiet on this plane. But I guarantee in the spiritual plane... Every angel and every demon heard the words. I don't think he went that quietly. I think that um, most people only know how to pray shallow prayers. Perhaps. And the reason for that is, is, is that no one has really taught them how to do meaningful meaningful praying. And our society is a society of want it now, want it quick. Right. We have a relatively a selfish society. Mm-hmm. So subsequently we um, address prayer really from our benefit side, what's in it for us versus what's God's will for us. Yep. Because this expression, no man is an island unto himself, so what God does for us may affect another person. Exactly. Or it may have a domino effect. It might. So when Jesus is praying the will of God, the will of God was going be- beyond just the need of the immediate. Right. It was going through the need for eternity. And you and I are beneficiaries to the fact that the will of God was that we all should be saved and that none should perish. Right. And just like Jesus did that night, sometimes when we pray for God's will to be done, we're praying for harm to come to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Jesus knew what crucifixion was. Right. So he would know what harm crucifixion would do. Yep. And... Uh, you know, it's it's written a couple of times um, in the epistles in the New Testament 
that prayer for Jesus to come quickly. We know he's coming back soon, that prayer for Jesus to come quickly. And I have prayed that prayer. But it's a very delicate prayer to pray. Because if you know what you're actually praying for, it's praying for persecution. It's praying to be hated. It's praying for the world to turn against you. And Jesus says, if they hate me and treat me this way, guess what, boys? They're going to do the same to you. Yep, it's coming to you too. And they all experienced it. Mm -hmm. They did. Do you know that um, the only place that we actually see that um, only one who talks about it is Luke, talks about that Jesus in the garden actually got down on his knees and prayed. That posture of prayer that yeah. we've been talking about. Yeah. Yep. Matthew, Matthew doesn't mention it, but Luke does pick it up. Yes. Okay? And neither does the description in Mark or the description of John of the same Gethsemane experience. The only one who's mentioning it is Luke. Yes, that's... That is very true. Um, it makes me think of something, actually. You talked about Gethsemane. Basically, the word meaning like wine press or mm-hmm. the, oil press. the oil press. What else does Luke tell us? You tell me. He talks about Jesus being of such a spirit and I'm just going to give me a second. I want, I want to get the words right. So if you'll bear with me just a moment. No, I want you to get the words right. You have the reference point that I have on? Yep, okay, I do. do. Okay. All right. In Luke twenty two forty four, actually in forty three, then an angel appeared and strengthened him. This is the second time. Mm-hmm. He prayed more fervently, and was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. You had mentioned the allegory of the oil and the anointing. Here's Jesus literally being crushed in his spirit. And his blood is coming out of his pores with his sweat. Homeostasis is the medical term. But his blood is what anoints us. So he is literally being pressed into his anointing right now. That just struck me as we were talking and felt worth sharing. (laughs) A lot of people know that uh, even little kids, because you teach in Sunday school, that Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for us so we wouldn't have to go to the cross. Right. I consider that 
the ultimate surrender to give your life for another person's transgressions. I would agree. Yeah, he really surrendered the failures of the human race's life in place of his. Mm -hmm. In other words, save them, take me. Yep. And what did he say about a friend that sticks closer than a brother? What do you say about that friend? He'll give his life. Yep. He'll give his life. And Jesus gave his life. So, therefore, we can be classified as his friend. Yes, and we can. He, and he calls us friends. Um, I'd like to go over to this. This is this. When you really have to look at what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mm -hmm. That statement, I think you would read it better than I would read it, about what happened with Jesus and his father. It's when this is Jesus united. Okay. Jesus united with his father. That's what he does through this prayer in the garden. And through that, he gives up his humanness. To, for, to fulfill God's mission, to save man from the penalty of sin. In that garden, in that moment of prayer, his human nature is united with his divine nature. Absolutely. And the two, and the two natures had probably never before been... Commingled. Well, at odds in the same way. Mm-hmm. Because his human nature wants to survive and his divine nature wants to save. And, well, quite frankly, by, by going with the divine nature, by choosing the divine nature over the human nature, he gets both. He surrendered. He, he, was, he surrendered He surrendered to the divine nature. He and submitted all, to his father's will. Right, and he lost his life, but only temporarily. That's right. What, is, what has been the gain? Everything. Man has a way. Yep. Man now has a way. Mm -hmm. And without that, we're already declared lost. Right. Well, this last weekend in Kingdom Kids, we were talking about... Um, we were talking about, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And the lesson starts in Genesis with Jacob in a dream that he had about a ladder where angels and man were able to traverse. Go back and forth, yes. Back and forth. Jacob's ladder. Jesus is Jacob's ladder. It's he not is. fully realized yet, but Jesus is the ladder. He is the way that we get to heaven. If we take a look at our, our, our outline here, yep. Okay, there are some takeaways from this garden experience. Yes, there are. That, that affects us today. It's not just we're rehashing the story like three of the disciples did. We're not rehashing the story. Right. Okay. I should clarify that. Only two of the disciples, the other ones were not disciples. <laughs> um, first of all, 
we find that um, in the teaching that we walk through life alone, or so we think we walk through life alone. Right. But when we talk to God, our circumstances matter. They do. So we do not walk alone, even though we think we walk alone. Once we know that God cares for us, Jesus Christ died for us, Jesus Christ cared for us, we learn these truths. Would you like to read the four truths and then the requirement? Sure. We can learn to trust and rest in Jesus. We can pray to the Father God in Jesus' name. We can have peace and stillness, even in the middle of a storm. And do you really know how to pray? You know, I, that, that question, it just it brings me back to, to that dangerous assumption that we mentioned right at the top of the episode. And um, when somebody new comes into a church maybe a non-believer, maybe a brand new believer. They assume that everybody else in that building knows how to pray and is good at it. That's what they assume. Everybody is in that building knows how to pray and is good at it. And after a while, they might even assume that they're expected to know how to pray and be good at it. And we get a little bit of this, um, we, get, we get a little bit of this effect of, I'm expected to know how to pray and be good at praying, therefore I can't ask to be taught how to pray and be good at praying. And so I think what we've, through a little bit of a cycle of assuming that everybody knows how to pray and is good at it, and assuming that I'm supposed to know how to pray and be good at it. I become afraid to ask how to pray. And really good for the disciples for having the courage to stand up and say, Jesus, I, you pray different. I don't know how to do that. Will you teach me how to do that? I know we do have quite a few people in our church that are, how, how should I say, they're, they are discipled or disciplined in prayer. They pray regularly. They pray often. Intently. They pray intently they pray intensely we do have those people in our congregation and all of us can learn how to do that and all of us should learn how to do that that requires dedication it does require dedication it does and 
it requires a recognition of the importance of prayer and the importance of being in God's will and working in God's will, because it doesn't escape my mind that in Romans 8, 28, he works good for all of those who are called according to his purpose. If you are outside of the will of God, you're not protected by the will of God, but if you are inside the will of God, you are protected by the will of God, which doesn't by any means mean that you're protected from hardship in this life. What it means is that your hardship has a purpose. If you're outside of the will of God and you experience hardship, that hardship may be without purpose. And so I would just encourage anybody and everybody to be praying. And if you're experiencing a hardship right now that's outside of the, from being outside of the will of God, maybe the purpose for that is to bring you inside the will. And so you can rest in Jesus no matter how hard it is. Do you know Jesus stated a fact to his disciples and that fact is still a fact today? What's that, that fact? That affects us? In this world, yep. you will face tribulation trials and tribulations. Yep. The, the, he wasn't exempt from it. The disciples weren't exempt from it. And we are not exempt from it. However, we have a resource. And that resource is we can pray for help from God. Right. We can pray for deliverance. We can pray for knowledge. Sometimes we need to have the knowledge from God to be able to perform, to participate in that deliverance, mm -hmm. in, in that prayer being answered. Sometimes I think that we want God to do everything. And that's kind of like being lazy. It really is. Now, when it comes to the practice of prayer, I'm going to make an analogy here. And you'll forgive me because no analogy is perfect. I have a cell phone. You had one? I have one. Okay. <laughs> it's sitting on my desk right now, often on my desk, in my pocket, on the table. Not typically too far away from me. When somebody calls me, I answer the phone. I typically answer the phone. Um, and if it's somebody I know, I will answer. If Steve, if you call me, I'm going to say, hey, Steve, or good morning, Steve, or good afternoon, Steve, or, you know. You're going to address I'm, me by I'm, name. I'm going to address you by name. As I answer the phone, I will address you by name. If I don't know that phone number and it's not in my contact list, hello? Can't who is, who is this? Who is this? Why are you calling me? Right? I, I don't get rude, but I try not to be rude. Um, but that, you wonder, who is this? I don't, I don't know this phone number. Who is it and why are they calling me? And you answer, and maybe even a little tentative, Hello? And typically, 
I don't add a phone number to my contact list until it's been used several times, right? If you, if you have only ever called me once, your phone number is probably not in my list. But if you've called me three or four times, it's going to be in my list. So here's my analogy and maybe a question. How does God answer when you call? He answers with his full attention. With his he, full, he, with he his, does. I'm, I'm, I'm asking the listener, and it's oh, a, you are. I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> My bad. I'm a great communicator, by the way. It, it's a rhetorical question for the listener, right? Based on that analogy of cell phone, and does it show up as caller ID with the name, and do you answer it like that? Or does it show up with just the number that you may or may not recognize? How does God answer your phone call? How do you show up on God's caller ID? Is it a number? Is it a, is it a name? Are you a saved contact? Some phones even have an option where you can have favorites. Are you on that maybe? And if you were in God's place, where would you have you in that spectrum? And if you don't know whether or not you're a number or a saved contact in God's cell phone, you're going with the analogy, what are you going to do about it? I'm sure glad that there's no soul that God is not aware of. Right. And the very fact that he gave a man a soul, he's there ready for a man's first prayer. Right. As simple as it can be. Yep. Because he is the father. He is the creator. Not all children know him at all. Not all children know him by name. Right. But he wants to be known. He does. By name. And so if you call upon him, guess what? He answers. He will answer you. Going and back to the promise. cell phone analogy, God does not screen his phone calls, so call out. I'm glad that God answers. And even better than that, for those of us who are in him through Jesus Christ... Our Holy Spirit calls out for us when we can't even put into words mm-hmm. what our what our word what our call should be. That is correct. And I'm glad that the Holy Spirit isn't confused. He can he can express to God in a language that God understands mm-hmm. how we're feeling. So God can feel how we feel. Yes, he can. Yes, Do you he see can. anything else in this outline you'd like to talk about, except for a, a saying that a lot of people don't know came from the Garden of Gethsemane? All right, let's let's jump up to the saying. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yes, it is. Who did he say that to? He said that to the disciples. He said that to the three disciples who couldn't stay awake. Right. Right, because they came willingly. Yep. But they couldn't stay and pray. And before he dies, 
two out of the three give in to fear. Yes, they do. And he knew that. Yes, he did. He knew that was coming. Well, I have down here that Jesus teaches us prayer. What Jesus teaches us about prayer is serious. His example, even in the garden, mm -hmm. is that he stayed and prayed three times. He did. Because he wasn't finished with his prayer. There was still more to be said between him and his father. And you can't blame it upon disciples mm -hmm. for falling asleep because Jesus was going to pray as long as he needed to pray. The lesson that we have to take away from that is sometimes we have to be persistent in prayer. We do. And we don't, we don't know how many hours. We, we know that it was a span of hours. Mm-hmm. But we That's don't right. know how many. It could have been two, it could have been five or even six that they're in the garden praying. Well, we knew one thing. We knew what happened after he got done praying. We knew that it was evening. Because mm -hmm. what happened immediately after he got done praying? He was arrested. He was arrested. Yep. Right. So they could have started praying and the day was drawing Drawing, drawing to an end. Right. Dusk and night was falling upon them. Mm -hmm. And what do people do when things start getting a little dark and dim? Especially after eating a meal? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. They go you, to bed. You, you got it. <laughs> I can't necessarily blame the disciples, okay? Because sometimes I know that my spirit is willing, mm -hmm. but I still fall asleep. I do, too. Right. And sometimes when I wake up, I say, what happened? Mm -hmm. Because I didn't know where I left off. Can't remember. Right. Right. Well, do you see anything else on this, Dustin, that you think that the listeners would like to know about? I don't think so. I think we have covered pretty much everything on there in a piecemeal kind of, kind of way. But uh... You know, there's one thing that God likes. He likes for you to define your prayer. He wants to know, what is it you really want? Mm -hmm. Don't pussyfoot around. Okay? Say it. Right. Okay. You know, if you say it, I can understand it better. I know what you're going to say, but you got to ask for it. Right. Yes, we do have to. If we come to God with an ask, we come boldly and expectantly. And sometimes he still says no. That's an answer. But. but if we go timid, expecting the answer to be no, we'll be right every time. Just about every time. Because sometimes, some, sometimes God will take a meager prayer and turn it into a feast. And Jesus said to his disciples, O ye of little faith. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, O ye of little faith? What is another quality that's needed in order for prayer to be effective? The opposite of little faith is what? Big faith. Belief. Yep. Belief that God will grant you what you're asking for. Yep, that's that, that's that boldness and expectancy. If we, uh, if we pray for little things, 
will most likely only ever receive little things. Don't put God in a box. God is bigger than the universe. If you have a need, pray for it. Ask for it. If it's something that if it's something that could be done through human means, it's a small prayer. Mm-hmm. Pray for things that can only be done by God of the universe. Pray for God of the universe big things. And then sit back and wait. And again, sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is not what we expect. And sometimes he gives us exactly what we're asking for. And for whose goodwill? For his. For his goodwill. Right. And remember, it's all about God's goodwill because, quite frankly, we've... We have a limited amount of time on this world. 120 years maximum. If you're that, lucky. 100, I, I said maximum. Well, 100, 120 years unless, max. Unless you're Moses, usually 120 years aren't always the same. No. <laughs> no. 100, 120 years maximum uh, that we get on this planet in its fallen state. But then we get eternity to spend with God and enjoy all of the blessings I'm in and all of the fruit that he has I'm to in offer. eternity already, but my eternity is I'm learning what to do for all eternity. Right. So, all right. Any parting words for us? I can't wait to figure out what we're going to talk about next week. I can't wait for you to do it either. But God will know. God knows. God and when kn- he talks, we listen. You know, and I think sometimes he gives us things at the last minute so that he can talk through us and we don't get in the way. Because if I got time to prepare, I just might get in the you way. You might write a book. <laughs> <laughs> if you knew me, you would know that if I ever write a book... It is all God's doing, because that is not going to be me. I am not a writer. All right. Thank you very much for coming in, Steve. Thank you for your patience and waiting for me. (laughs) Not a problem. Have a great week, everybody.